we realistically have to do things so methodically to make sure that we're addressing maybe not even one issue at a time, that we might be knocking out three with one project because we just don't have that type of financial backing at a given point to go pick out three different solutions. Welcome to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast, where IT and digital leaders from around the world talk about their careers, their inspiration, and their vision for the future of digital business. I'm your host, David Wright. The world of digital business is evolving faster than ever, and I want this to be a place where digital business champions create a village to band together and help each other navigate the ever-changing terrain. Disruptive Innovators features conversations with CIOs and digital leaders from around the world, diving into their personal backstory, career, their current role, trends they've been seeing, and their vision for the future, personally, professionally, and otherwise. This podcast is made for people who are seeing how quickly the digital business landscape is evolving. Those who recognize that it takes a village of trusted advisors to navigate this ever-changing terrain. People who enjoy listening to high-level discussions surrounding what it means to be a leader, real-world examples of challenges faced, and industry-specific strategies leveraged to create exceptional business outcomes. This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net. Morning. I am joined by Nick Szymanski. Nick, how are you? Good. Good. Good morning. Good morning. So, Nick, tell us a little bit about your current role. Where are you now? Well, uh, thank you for the time and the opportunity. Uh, first and foremost, right now, I'm at Signature Healthcare, which is about thirty to forty minutes outside of Boston. So, we have a hospital itself, and then we have a medical group of about 150 physicians. And in my current role, I oversee IT telecom and biomed. So all in maybe 50 to 70 folks that I have the privilege of working with. And every day I feel like we're chasing something down, but the current landscape of where we are now, and we are a safety net hospital, so we're unaffiliated. So being a community hospital has its challenges, but also has its advantages as well. So yeah, that's a quick summary of where I am today. And I've been here for about two and a half years. Very cool. Yeah, I look forward to learning more about your vision and some of the nuances of being a community hospital. But before any of that, we like to start out, what's one piece of uh, actionable advice you'll look to give our listeners today? I guess it would be a few, uh, one of which would be to be comfortable being uncomfortable. That's one of the things I always uh, share with uh, my team, uh, dive into things that you normally might not have or thought that you maybe would have been a good fit for or I think that's first and foremost, I try to practice that as well, but I also try to pass that along to the team. That only better serves the organization and ultimately our patients, which are the number one priority, but also keeps us engaged and challenged as individuals, continuing to learn and see a a wider scope. So I would say that's probably my number one thing, and most of my team would probably agree that I say that probably too much in their opinion. (laughs) That's a good one. I mean, I personally, I hate being uncomfortable, and but I know it's, I have to follow the same advice myself all the time. That's where growth is. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And it's different for everyone, obviously. It could be public speaking. It could be taking on a project that overlaps into another department. So for all of us, we have our own comfort zones, obviously, and that's one that I definitely preach on. But 
that motto has uh, fortunately served me pretty well too. Excellent. So Nick, tell us a little bit about where you started out and how you got to where you are today as the CIO of this healthcare system. Yeah, so I went to college for network engineering. And then towards the end of my senior year, one of the professors said, I think you'd be a very good fit to go work at this company that produces EMRs or is an EMR. And I didn't know what that was at the time. And I wasn't quite sure how that would loop in the technical skill sets that I had hopefully just earned over the last four years. So I said, okay, sounds good. Kind of back to the being comfortable in an uncomfortable spot. I said, I don't know where my path is. I didn't really have a clear one, but I don't think that's uh, unique either coming out of college. But so anyways, I did that for about three years and really grew a real deep appreciation for the service and support that IT gives, especially in healthcare, because in most cases, if not all, it directly translates to the patients, which ultimately is, again, our, I don't want to say customer, but in an IT sense, it is. So it's our clinicians and uh, our patients. So I saved that company, like I said, for about uh, three years, and then I decided, okay, I'm going to leave Boston and go to New York City. Don't know where I got that. Just pulled that out of the hat, but I said that's where I'm going to start my search. And then I had the privilege to work at several great institutions in the New York area, working in various roles and hopefully sharpening my skill set and widening my own view of healthcare as a whole. And then I became a CIO of a hospital in Staten Island. I was there for about two and a half years, three years in that role. And then I moved back home of sorts to here in the Boston area. So it's been a very interesting journey and I'm so fortunate to have had those opportunities. But even more important to me, I think, is I've had some really good mentors along the way. And without that, I don't think I'm sitting here today. In fact, I know I'm not. So, Yeah, same. I have a lot of people to thank for lifting me up and Part of what I try to do is lift others up because of all the help that I got over the course of my life, you know. I would jump in. I would actually say that's probably the greatest success is when you're able to help a team or uh, pass along some skills that someone passed along to you or even some guidance and it really comes, you know, it produces a favorable outcome. That to me is probably the most rewarding thing that can happen. So and Fortunately enough, there are a good amount of mentors out there, but it shouldn't uh, go unnoticed or unstressed, really. That's where I feel leaders should be. And, you know, I try to live by that the best that I can, too. I agree. Yeah, I get the most joy out of that. A lot of the successes that we've achieved are great and they're fleeting. But, you know, when you can really dig in with an individual and see the lights go on or like you said, it's very rewarding. So what's one of the most important things that you've learned over the course of your career, over the course of your life, and what was life before learning it and after learning it? Uh, yeah, that's a loaded question. <laughs> How much time do we have? I get that a lot. <laughs> yeah. Actually, it blends into both work and uh, personal. It's really just being uh, true to yourself, and it sounds very cliche, and it is uh, to a degree, but always being transparent, whatever type of relationship that is, whether it's in work or out of work. If you do that, you garner trust and as you move into different roles, including a lot of leadership roles, your success is dependent on a lot of other folks. And if you don't have good relationships with them and are transparent, or I think that's going to really limit the amount of success that you're going to be able to have, right? If someone doesn't trust that you're trying to do this for the best interest of the patients or the organization or the clinicians, you know, and they look at it as a self-serving goal, I don't think you're going to get much buy-in, right? And it ties into another thing I also share with the team, and that's 
what makes a very good IT team is doing the basics consistently and well. And to me, being viewed as a trustworthy person or a, a transparent person, those are very basic things, but that's what separates you from another team member, potentially, if you're viewed as being truly genuine. So, you know, I, I stick to that motto as well, often, and that has served well. And that, that can mean that you're going to have tough conversations, but they trust, again, that you're coming from a good angle. It's, it's not mean-spirited, and it's not self-serving. So if I had one big magic wand, I would wave that across <laughs> multiple arenas. Uh, for me, that has been very beneficial. It's huge. I mean, that was something that I struggled with over the course of my life, particularly in personal conversation, but having those difficult conversations kind of lends itself to what I said before about not liking being uncomfortable, but lying by omission is just as bad as lying. Especially in IT, I think a skill that's an important or a trait to be able to have is to be able to translate. And what I mean by that is it's our and even my responsibility to communicate out to various end users or customers or leadership and not talk to IT, talk to them because they, one, won't understand me, two, they don't need to because that's my job, right? But they need to be able to understand why is it important that I'm telling them what I'm telling them or if we choose A over B, why is that a big deal? And especially in IT where sometimes we get labeled a little bit of that we could talk in protocols and all that stuff. Well, yeah, we do, but we can do that in our own setting and then make sure that when we're out again with the end users or customers, that we're able to effectively communicate why it's important to the person we're speaking to. And once that clicked in for me, that really went a long way, I think. Yeah. When we're speaking with our business partners within an organization, that level of organizational change management is a huge part of what we do. Taking strategic directives and converting them into executable actions. So Nick, I know that I've learned some of my biggest lessons from projects or life happenings, failures, where because that's where I experienced the most growth over the course of my career. What's one of your biggest like learning moments, one of your biggest failures, if you will, and what did you learn from it? Yeah, so I kind of dovetail into what I just mentioned, and that was the ability to translate. So early on in my career, I remember a few projects that whether my communication internally to IT wasn't strong enough and they didn't understand why we were doing it or how we were doing it. So that put the success of the project at risk because they're like, I, I didn't know about this. And, you know, again, also to the business partners of, hey, we're doing this. This is what it looks like. This is your impact. Even though I may have tried, I didn't do it as well as I needed to for them to click. So then when the projects did go live, they weren't viewed as successful, even though we had put in all this effort and time and energy into it. I didn't, again, effectively communicate with the business partners, again, to even know what the future state was, but even to ask their viewpoint of what should that even look like, rather than IT just building something and dumping it kind of in your lap and saying, hey, we did this, isn't it great? I think understanding that value is really the perception of the customer and then being able to communicate to that, like I said a few times. So. Yeah, early on, that definitely was, I would definitely say that was my weak spot and my blind spot uh, for sure. And you continue to work on that. You're always trying to understand why someone might benefit or in some cases not benefit, and you need to communicate to that. Hey, you're going to have a change, and here's what it is. And you may not view it as favorable, but here's why we're doing it, just to kind of give them the whole picture. So yeah, early on, that was definitely a, a spot that I had uh, some trouble with. Yeah, and enrolling those people can be tricky. And I find, you know, it goes back to, an episode we just had where hopefully it's starting with a challenge and, and trying to help those docs or whoever it might be 
understand that challenge and why we're trying to solve for it. And there's going to be holdouts, right? But hopefully getting as many of them kind of excited about what's possible and then kind of also including them in the conversation without letting them derail it, which is a, yeah. a tricky balance. Uh, fine. <laughs> tricky yeah. balance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. So let's talk a little bit about your, well, actually, before we get into your vision for Signature Healthcare, what's one of your favorite books right now or blogs? It could be now or all time. What's a literary piece you might recommend to our listeners? I'm actually going to take a, a, a lazy answer out, but it's uh, genuine. And I actually enjoy reading different articles and listening to different peers on LinkedIn. Again, it's a lazy answer, but it, it's a true one. Just hearing how certain folks, organizations are addressing the issues that we're honestly all challenged with, right? So security here at Sign- Signature isn't, there are some things that are unique to us, but overall, every CIO or CISO is focusing on that. So what is your top 10 list? I think it's, you know, I know what our top 10 list is, or I think I know what it is. <laughs> yeah, how much is that uh, the same elsewhere? So really hearing what the peers in different organizations are doing is really helpful to be a check and balance. And then also really just uh, speaking with them, but in a sense of a media or a forum to get information, I think LinkedIn does an amazing job and the healthcare realm is so tight. It is a tight knit group, right. which is awesome. And everyone has always been willing to help out and take phone calls and kind of hash things out and share experiences. So that's why I value that forum so much because I really respect the folks that are that I'm listening to or I'm reading about or what they're excited about and seeing if I can weave that in somehow here. So that's where I spend the majority of my time. And with the little one at home, I don't have too much time <laughs> to sit down and, uh, and to read a few books at the moment. So that's when I do have a few minutes, that's where I'm going. I hear that. If I'm lucky, I, I listen to Audible on the subway. So that's my uh, consumption, but I build my book list. But I agree, LinkedIn has been huge. And I love what you said about kind of that uh, consortium of knowledge, because part of what we're doing in our role in speaking with multiple health systems, working with multiple health systems is kind of gathering, first getting agreement that it's okay, but gathering almost this research group data, this benchmarking data that as we engage with new health systems, we can say, hey, this is what this organization is doing that they found helpful for their medical group. This is what this organization is doing and so on. And I think, like you said, it's incredibly helpful to kind of get a sense of what the community is up to. So it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So that being the case, what's your your vision for a signature? What are you guys up to? Push the envelope as much as we can. And what I mean by that is, uh, and I'll use the buzzword or phrase, the digital front door. I'm trying to get that moved up and get to our patients rather than having to rely on them to a physical space. So that's not unique to us here either. Many organizations, if not all, are doing something probably in that line. But really being methodical in what our approach is, understanding the community that we serve, what challenges come with that, and what you know opportunities we have is really, really, really a main focus of ours. And again, to get a lot of the tools and information into the patient's hands rather than relying on them to come here. So that's by way of different things like portal and how we communicate with the patients to remind them of their care and to make sure we're tracking their care through the whole continuum of care for that patient. So again, just looking for opportunities and also really assessing where we need help, right? There might be a certain pocket of, I don't know, diagnoses that we could be looking at a little bit differently. Well, is there a tool, some AI out there that we can weave into the EMR that might help or 
where are we seeing patient, where are our patients struggling and why are they struggling if they are to get the care that they need, especially coming out of COVID when we had such a different world that was upside down and I'm sure a lot of people had some concerns about going into the hospital. So the folks we're now seeing are a little bit sicker than they were before. So what patients are falling to that bucket and how do we proactively get to them? So a lot of initiatives, but pushing as much as we can to get to the patients, like I said, rather than waiting for them to come to us. Very cool. Any specific technology solutions that you're really excited about or that you're working on right now that you want to talk about? Well, this way in nature, it's not going to be new to anyone who's been around for quite some time, but really streamlining what functionalities are in our patient portal is big to us. So what information can we give to the patient? Again, advancing that digital front door, but then also expanding our telehealth support, I guess, and weaving that into the portal. So we're trying to create a centralized approach for our patients that when they need something, they could go to one place and pretty much get it. So we're doing a lot with the portal, and like I just alluded to, we're, we're beginning to roll out televisits that is weaved into that portal. And that's been really, really interesting because it takes a lot of different teams to operationalize that. So you have to have physician engagement in that. You have to have the registration folks. You have to have finance folks, compliance. So, you know, as we come out of COVID where the rules were a little bit more relaxed around this area, we're trying to stand it up for where we think it's going, right, so that we're okay and we're not just kind of pulling something off of the shelf and saying, well, this works for now, but I don't know if it is in six months from now. That's what we're putting a lot of focus on, not only in IT, but, you know, as an organization. Um, because as I, I said in, in response to another question, some of our challenges with our patients are travel and getting here, right? So that's actually a hurdle to some of our patients. So, well, let's eliminate that. If we could get to them, that you know, then that... That allows us to provide the care that they need rather than waiting for their illness to potentially get even worse. So that's a really big focal point for us right now. Yeah, well, and that's great that you have that forward-thinking vision for kind of what's next because a big part of what we're doing right now with some organizations is kind of dissecting moves that were made for telehealth or collaboration tools or whatever it might be during COVID that may or may not serve the organization long-term and kind of backing into what is that ideal solution for where the organization's going from a patient experience standpoint, from application stack standpoint, and so on. And you mentioned that travel challenge, which actually kind of weaves into one of my next questions. What are some of the biggest challenges you guys are facing as an organization right now? Yes. It's, again, addressing the travel, understanding why that's a hurdle, but then also understanding what can we do about it. So do we provide the travel or do we provide a method to get to the patient's homes, whether that's digitally or home care, and then figure out what does that look like? And the other part, too, I did mention this earlier, is uh, trying the best that we can identify the patients that may not have come in over the last two years that we really should have seen that we had a plan of care for them, and then COVID threw a curveball into everything. And certain parts of the hospital, mall parts of the hospital, had to work in a different manner. But it provided challenges for the care that we had to give. So now that we're hopefully, hopefully coming out of that, what does that look like? Who are the high-risk patients, I guess, that we would classify them as? And then try to proactively get out, out to them. And then the other part is just being a community hospital, you have to be very financially responsible 
you don't have the additional resources that a big system might have. So while we have a lot of grand ideas, and they are, they're awesome, we realistically have to do things so methodically to make sure that we're addressing maybe not even one issue at a time, that we might be knocking out three with one project because we just don't have that type of financial backing at a given point to go pick out three different solutions. So I don't want to say it's a challenge, but it's a consideration that does separate community hospitals from a larger health system. Oh, it's definitely a challenge. It's a 100% a challenge. From an outsider's perspective, from what I've seen with community versus other, like you said, larger health systems. But, you know, great that you, I mean, you guys are, it sounds like you guys are getting it done regardless. And we're doing the best we can. What are, that's for sure. <laughs> right. What are some of the best practices that you and your team follow in trying to do so? Yeah, well, I think the first one is understanding what is best practice. So from an IT standpoint, I might think it's one thing and say, I would prefer we only have one platform that's used throughout the organization, but I might not understand why that couldn't effectively apply to a different area. So it sounds basic in nature, but it is understanding where you can go and what resources are available to even tell you what the best practice is. So for, as I keep harping on this uh, portal piece and the telehealth, we actually brought in folks that have stood up multiple organizations, telehealth service lines or support centers, and said, okay, here's what we were looking at. Did we miss anything? And what other considerations should we have? So yeah, just understanding what that best practice is, but then making sure you have everyone at the table that does need to be there. Maybe someone might say, well, that sounds like an IT thing, but as I said earlier, finance, you have registration, you have physicians, legal. I mean, there's so many different folks and it has to check off everyone's requirements in order to do that. But understanding what is it we're trying to achieve, that best practice, understanding what that is, has actually been very interesting to me, especially as we discussed the portal and televisits, because I honestly thought it was going to be a little bit easier than it is <laughs> to have this consideration. And what happens if the televisit to a patient that resides outside of Massachusetts? Well, what happens then? So, Again, having the right folks, but also understanding what is the best practice is uh, crucial out of the gate. Because if you try to back into it, then you probably just wasted a lot of time. Yeah, 100%. I mean, healthcare is so complicated, too. I've worked in pretty much every industry, retail, financial services, healthcare. I have to say, personally, for me, healthcare is probably one of the most complicated, if not the most complicated industry I've ever worked in because of, for some of those reasons that you mentioned, and that's why as we go through these projects, we've had to assemble clinical and operational leaders because oftentimes it starts with that. And then the technology solution is kind of, I talked about this with someone last week, the easy part and not the easy part, yeah. but sometimes it is. Some, it, yeah. Exactly. And same thing goes with the financial clearance and all, all of that aspect to it as well. So good, great point. So Healthcare is evolving. You know, we have the, the consumerism of healthcare going on. We have a lot of conversations about value-based care. Where do you see the healthcare industry going as time passes? Any thoughts on some of the biggest changes, what they might be? And I know you don't have a crystal ball, so I won't quote yeah, you. Yeah, well, based on the communication that I have with the finance folks, but I think that's exactly where it's going. The payers are going to say, well, I'm not going to pay you the same thing if your care isn't as good as it is down the street somewhere. So I think that from a business standpoint and clearly and more importantly from a care perspective, that's an amazing approach, right? Now, I think the insurers are probably doing that because they're, they're always kind of adjusting to figure out how their bottom line 
could also benefit. But in this case, I think that that will generate and force organizations to produce very good results. Otherwise, you simply aren't going to be able to survive. And we're here because of the patients. So I think that gives such a huge incentive. There's so many different models that you could take now. You could take a little risk. You could take a lot of risk. How much are you willing to almost gamble on yourself? And I don't want to say gamble because we have so much data, but it it is a calculated from a a purely business standpoint. So I don't think that that's going to change at all, meaning it's not going backwards. It's only going to progress more. And then there'll be benchmarks for all those different types of items, which there already are. There's groups such as ACO initiatives. There's DISRIP initiatives that are based on just this. If you produce X care, then you are entitled to this because ultimately you saved X amount of dollars because your care was good and addressed the need. So it's just going to get more aggressive, I think. And personally, I have not worked in any organization that was not in tune to see that writing on the wall. And I think it's just how quickly can you ramp up and really put a very good structure in place to be able to identify your strengths and your weaknesses. Yeah. So I think it's the needles that's going to go more aggressive. And ultimately for the patients, that's a very good thing. That makes sense to me. Here's one. If you had a magic wand, unlimited budget, what are some of the most innovative technologies that you would leverage to support the business vision of the organization or that you're excited to see kind of coming up in the healthcare industry? Yeah. So I have somewhat of like, I have one that some organizations are starting to tinker with, and then I have like a pipe dream, but the first one would be utilizing drones. And it sounds maybe a little bit silly, but given what we already talked about in getting to the patients, maybe that's delivering medications. Maybe they already do have cameras on it and you're able to get to them. I think that that could be an area that gets explored deeper. Again, some organizations are doing, I think I just read Amazon that they're back on track to have their deliveries. I think they had a whole initiative around doing just this with drones. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. The pipe dream is if I was able to create something, which maybe I will copyright it here on this show now. I heard it. You heard it. Some way to have the patient be the holder of their data. So like, and I don't know what that would be, a microchip or some type of device, but that they would hold on to it. And wherever they went to, that organization would be able to consume that. We talk about interoperability all for five, ten years we've been talking about it, and there's been great strides, but there's still a lot to be done. And the other piece that I think that type of model, should that ever happen, I think would also help address would be security concerns. We work so hard all of healthcare works so hard to make that data as safe as possible, but we're, it feels like we're always one step behind. We're always playing catch up on something. So if we were able to get that ownership into the patient's hands, you know, that'd be very interesting to see how that plays out because we continue to try and try and try and every day there's something new that comes out. And for a community hospital, perhaps maybe there is a solution out there that comes out to address one of these things and it's you know, that's a considerable investment that they have to make. Now, we would make it, but that means something else now doesn't happen, right? So there's a lot of ripple effects, I think, with that. It would be interesting to see if we could get to that type of model, what that would yield. Yeah, and it's interesting because it kind of, I mean, you have the HIEs and things like that, but I like the concept of having the patient control the data. Yeah. Yeah, now my wheels are turning, but I won't steal your idea. It's pretty interesting because in theory, in a perfect scenario, the patient would then hand over their data. Uh, I'm sure there'd have to be some type of security 
controls in place to make sure that they didn't have inappropriate access. But this is an interesting concept that I spent some time thinking about. Yeah. And I mean, with two-factor and biometric, I mean, you could easily solve for that nowadays with, with everything out there. Very cool. All right. So as we come to a close here, Nick, if you could go back five or 10 years in time, what advice would you give your younger self? Be patient. I think at times I was hoping to move into different roles, probably earlier than <laughs> I could have or should have. So I, you know, I think I would tell myself that. And the other thing, which now I try to communicate at least, is to recognize the emotional intelligence and the human aspect of a team. It's not always transactional. People are going to have bad days. They have outside things that are happening, good, bad, and different, and to recognize that. And in IT, one of my go-to phrases is healthcare is 24-7, and so is IT. And people, that can burn some people out, especially with the amount of projects we're doing and, and how much uh, the organization may be weighing on. But it doesn't just impact the person who shows up here to work. It impacts their family. When we have these go lives and the weekend without their family, to hopefully pass along that appreciation to all those who are impacted. It's not just that individual. So when I say emotional intelligence, you know, the human aspect, I, I mean that. That means they're not seeing their kids for a weekend, perhaps, or they're not going to be home for dinner tonight and to appreciate that. So I would tell myself to settle down a little bit 25 years ago, 20 years ago. <laughs> and also, you know, like I said, I try to communicate that now, but to really place a strong importance on the human element of the team. I love that. It's great that uh, Signature has a and a leader in IT that's focused on that emotional intelligence. And from what I found, the best leaders are leading that way. So kudos to you, Nick. Well, thank you. hundred percent. Well, Nick, I just want to thank you again for coming on the show. We had a blast having you on. Well, thank you for the opportunity and maybe we'll talk down the road. That sounds great. And everyone, thanks for tuning in to Disruptive Innovators. We will see you next week. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to enjoy future episodes. This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net.